Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. Merry Christmas, everyone. This is uh, this is releasing right before Christmas. What a great Christmas present for us. We have three amazing people. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just really excited about it. So, so I'm just going to come right to you so we can get right to it, Brandon. But uh, what do we got going on today? Well, today we, we're, it's almost like a Royal Rumble kind of thing. We're going to get quite a few <laughs> people in here. We're going to get we're going to get not only you and me, Phil, but we're going to have our friends from SFAC, all all three of the lead practitioner, educator, awesome social work therapists, people all in here all at once. So we got Mick Peace coming on. And then we got Dan and Caitlin Hope all coming in, uh, getting to jump into some awesome things just in time for the holidays, man. That's right. And, and I will say just folks, just to a reminder, Mick, it's amazing. It's taken us about 180 episodes getting back on, but he was the first interview ever done. Not the first interview released, but the first enter- interview ever done for Think Orphan. So, you know, we couldn't have started without him. So, I mean, that, that's that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, and it, it, this this has been the season of uh, comebacks because we also got Ian Forber Pratt back on. Yeah. Uh, we had Salamta Family Project back on, even though it was a different guest. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been cool to reconnect with some of these people, and and none more so than Mick, who and don't forget, uh, you've been on a lot. I've been this, on this yeah. this 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 season too. People so. are probably already tired of me though, as we as we actually conclude season nine. Today's the right. last episode of season nine. So that's exactly right. And, as, you know, they've been tired of me for about 176 episodes. So never. it's okay, Brandon. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, I don't know about that. But yeah, this is the last episode of season nine. Couldn't have thought of uh, having anybody better than our friends at SFAC uh, join us for the show. And uh, we're going to get to talk about all sorts of stuff. So uh, yeah, let's go ahead and welcome them on in. Caitlin, Dan, and Mick, welcome to the Think Orphan Podcast. And Mick, welcome back to the Think Orphan Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Of course. Well, we got a lot to get to because you guys are doing some pretty cool stuff and have been doing some pretty cool stuff uh, for many years. So um, I just want to kind of kick it off by, by throwing it to you, Dan, uh, and just have you share a little bit about uh, what SFAC substitute families for abandoned children have been doing um, since last time I talked to, to uh, Mick and uh, the role that you all play within the global child welfare space. Okay. Um, the first thing we've done since you've spoken to Mick is changed our name. Oh, well, <laughs> shoot, you guys, that's why you were laughing. And I am, I am just, I, you know, I, it's not the first time that's happened. So that's the good thing. So, uh, so that's a great segue into the second question. What is the new name of the uh, SFAC? So we are SFAC and that stands now for strengthening uh, families and children. Well, there it is. Um, uh, which kind of reflects that we really do a, a broad um, part of work really in, in supporting organizations involved in the care and protection of children, um, which has kind of moved really from the early days of, of, of SFAC, where that was a lot of advocacy work um, led by Mick um, in relation to there are different ways of looking after children other than um, children's homes and, and orphanages. So, so that's why the name changed. Um, and, you know, we are, a small team, um, uh, but we are all qualified 
um, and experienced practitioners. Um, so Mick and I in, in the social work field, Caitlin in the psychology uh, and, and therapeutic world. And then we also have uh, Joseph uh, Luganda, is a, a social worker, mm. is based at, out in Uganda. And then we have um, people like Ranjit Apple, uh, who is a, a judge uh, and lawyer, uh, who we have access to when we train uh, with um, judiciary. Um, and you know, we we all kind of recognise that caring for children is a tough thing to do, um, and caring for you know children other that are not ours, other people's children is is even harder. Um, and you know that we all need. Um, support to do that and to do that well and, and really our role is to support organizations with training with mentoring with advice um, from all the experience that, that we've gathered we've all done the job um, both in our own countries and in other countries um, and I think we've now worked in around 50 countries I think over the last 20 years um, 47 47 there we are that's about um, 50 that's about yeah, 50. I was, I, was, I was online. It was always uh, convenient when you have a, the, the spouse on here to correct yes. the husband. It's <laughs> exactly. Great. We would not get anything done on this show if my if Becca was here with me doing stuff, just for the record. So and and and, and Caitlin, as well as being our psychologist, is our comms person. So you know, she, she will always correct her on any uh, on any any comms bit. Um so yeah, and and we work, you know, we work across organizations of all sizes, so from small uh, community organizations and NGOs through to governments and, and judiciary. Um, because really, you know, it's all of those agencies have a role um, in the care and protection of children. Um, and really, we need to, to work across all of those sectors to be able to create effective change. Yeah, that sounds great. We're going to get into the details of that throughout the rest of this conversation. I think the one thing we learned more than anything there is don't make assumptions about a name just because the initials are the same. That <laughs> is, and do your, do your full research, um, which I do, just for the record, did research for this conversation. Um, I just did not go and look at that, which I probably should. Now I'm going to with everything in the future. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. So um, now we're going we're gonna to shift it back over to Mick a little bit here and uh, talk about the book that Mick wrote since the last time. Well, he's probably writing it while yeah. we talked the last time, but it released since we last talked and we've been needing to get you back on. It's just, I've been dropping the ball apparently for a long time. Good thing Brandon came back and, and made the call, but uh, you got, you, you released this great book and I, I have actually read it, which is, which is, uh, you know, something I had to read it because you didn't, you didn't read it for me. Like I asked you to and put it on, you know, audio form, but, uh, I actually did read the book. It's fantastic. It has been re uh, recommended several times by our guests on this show. So now, um, now that Mick's going to talk about it, he's not going to tell you enough that you don't have to read it. So just you, you still need to get this book because it's amazing. It's called Children Belong in Families, a Remarkable Journey Through or Toward Global Change. And, uh, you know, Mick, can you just talk to us about that, about the book and, and why you wrote it and uh, really what what uh, you want people to take from it? Well, yeah, I can. Um, it was it was um, one of the many things that was never on my radar. Um writing a book, had, uh, and it certainly wasn't my idea. Uh, strangely enough, I, so many people on my journey in many different countries who I'd interacted with uh, had said to me very over a number of years, had said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And my immediate response was, say, well, I'm not the person to do that. I haven't got the time. 
to be honest, I'm not too sure I've got the ability either. Writing, I could write a book for me to read, but I'm not too sure I could write a book and make it interesting for other people to read. So, um, and, and to be honest, it was true. I didn't have a lot of time. Uh, I was working 60, 70 hours a week on a, for a long, long time. And I thought, where on earth am I going to find the time to research and, you know, do the quality stuff that you need to do? One day I was sat in uh, Heathrow Airport waiting to go to Thailand. And I got a message from uh, a friend of mine who I hadn't spoken to in years, who used to do writing. He, he didn't, had never written a book, but he'd done lots of poetry work. And he just messaged me to say, Mick, I've been thinking, um, maybe I could do, um, I could help and uh, put some of your journals together and, you know, put something out there. And that's literally where it started. I thought, here again, another prompt to say, why don't you do it? So. I think we battled down, we discussed it, we thought, yeah, we've got to tackle this. That's really around about, um, about how it came about. Why? Because I think a lot of things have started to really get under my skin. Um, in the 90s, I worked in, well, volunteered in Romania following the fall of Ceausescu, President Ceausescu. Uh, and if you remember, it was global news about the amount of children that were in devastating conditions, uh, living institutions. That's well documented, certainly in the UK. And, um, and then I go to Brazil and I see, so that's Europe. And then I go to Brazil, Latin America, and I start working in a children's home, volunteering, and um, for a year in Sao Paulo. And, and then I say, see much the same kind of thing. And then not long after that, I finish up in Central Asia. Uh, and I see the same thing. And I'm thinking, this is a global issue. The easy answer to children who cannot live with their family for one reason or another is to simply put them in an orphanage and when you begin to put that back to people they'll say well what options are there what else are we supposed to do um so i started talking and throwing out things well you do prevention work uh, supporting families in the communities you could start looking about building up parents you could start looking at placing children with relatives you can start talking about foster care well people are coming back and say that wouldn't work in nepal that wouldn't work in Brazil, that wouldn't work in Cambodia, that wouldn't work in India, that wouldn't work in every country, which I began to think, this is a red herring. So I suppose it was really about trying to get people to think differently um, as to what they should be doing. I didn't want it ever to be the book to be a condemnation on people for what they were doing, because I've worked in a children's home, Dan's worked in the children's home, many of the people we've worked with have worked in children's homes. As social workers, I put kids in children's homes. Um, but I wanted it to be an enlightenment, a trigger, really, to begin to think differently. Um, so I came up with this, uh, one of those things, whenever I, uh, one of the sentences or challenges I put out there, everywhere I, I went, um, speaking and training would be, uh, I would never place my own child in an orphanage. Would anybody else? And to this day, not one person has ever said, yeah, yeah, we'd be happy to put our case into an orphanage. And interestingly enough, even orphanage directors who were looking after kids in orphanages would say, I wouldn't put my kids in them either. <laughs> so why are we having double standards when it comes to other people's children? But for my children and people who we love and who are precious to us, we would be happy to place them uh, sorry, the other children in, in, in an orphanage, when we would never condone that for our own children. That's what really got under, under my skin. I thought, I have to get this message out. But, you know, I'm a very small fish in a very big pond. Um, 
and uh, my way of doing that was traveling and and, and teaching and talking um, and this opportunity to, to write the book came in. I also, just another thing I just wired, it was because I thought it's time people started thinking about the child's perspective. What does it actually feel like? What is the damage that's done to these kids who are so indiscriminately placed, separated from family and placed into orphanages that cannot reproduce anything like what they need? Um, so to consider the child's perspective and to consider options and rather than investing in building institutions, let's try to deconstruct them and actually build frameworks of family care. That's basically what the book is all about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and we talked at the first interview about some of the personal stories that are in there. So if you want to go back to that folks, I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to go back to that uh, conversation Mick and I had now, wow, five years ago. Uh, five and a half, I can think at this mm -hmm. point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and just listen to that because, and then and then definitely read the book because there's so much there. There's so much good stuff there, and uh, just to hear that why is is even more powerful. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, you'll go grab it and and where can you find it? Or you can find it on Amazon at the moment. Okay. Uh, Whip and Stock, W I P F and Stock, S T O C K, with the publishers in America. Um, and Caitlin, it will soon be available on that via our website. But of course, if you're in America, you're better off with Amazon or Whip and Stock. Yeah. Otherwise, it'll, you will be. Go on, yeah, it'll, it'll soon be on the website for people, mostly for people in the UK or in Australia. Okay, great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mick. And thank you for putting that out there because it is a powerful and uh, important book for all of us. Yeah, and I would just, you know, you got into this a bit, you know, just kind of with your own genesis, Mick, and, and kind of how you you know, walked into this space and what you started to do in this space with training and advocacy and, you know, now adding Dan and, and Caitlin and, and others into the fold, you guys really have kind of accumulated a vast amount of experience. You know, we do talk a lot about residential care and the importance of family-based care, the, the importance of, of having multiple options for children um, that are in need of protection and so forth. Um, I, I can personally attest that I'm taking a lot of cues from SFAC, just uh, utmost respect for you guys as friends and partners. Uh, but from your guys' vast experience, uh, you know, what are some other common practices in global care for children? that isn't really good practice uh, or safe practice, right? So Mick, you talked about this over-reliance on residential care, whether you're in Asia or South America or Eastern Europe, you know, what are some of those other practices that just really aren't that good or that safe and yet seem to be quite pervasive? Yeah, I mean, I would say that, I think one, one of the key kind of things is a bit of an oversimplification sometimes of what the issues are. So, you know, uh, in some ways I kind of, summarize that as a bit of uh there are problems of orphans of orphans well we know that that term has its own problems and and creates um solutions that don't necessarily uh, fit with what the issue actually is um and it can create a kind of what i call a head on a bed scenario uh, and, we, and we think the solution is well we've, we've got a bed for the child we've got a we've got a place for the child and that and you know the problem is is there um, and that's a bit about, you know, children's homes often will deal with the physical needs, but are they dealing with all of the emotional needs and, and the sense of kind of belonging that, that, and, and connection to community that children uh, and young people have and we all have as adults. So I think part of a lot of our work is about kind of making the issue of uh, caring for, for children more problematic, um, that it, it is simple in concept, 
but actually it's complex to deliver um, and that part of the work needs to enable people to be able to understand what that complexity is you know how do we know that we're doing the right thing for the child how do we know we're making best interest decisions how do we know that this child needs to come into some form of alternative care how do we know that it's safe for the child to go back to parents you know how do we know what the other options should be and how to deliver them safely and appropriately um, and all of that is is a lot of work even though there are very simple concepts in in essence of a child living in a family or a child living in alternative care or supporting a family to look after children. Yeah, that's really good. Caitlin, Mick, anything else to add on that front? Yeah, I think one of the things that um, I notice a bit is because so many of the people involved in this kind of work have huge hearts and really want to see children's lives better, want to see them changed. Um, and so there's a tendency sometimes to try and care for too many people to try and take on too much and for organizations not to narrow down what is it that we can offer what do we have the expertise and the capacity to offer because um, children but particularly traumatized children which if people are working in this area they're guaranteed to be working with children who've had traumatic experiences children heal in relationships adults heal in relationships and if we try and care for too many people then we kind of water down that capacity to help them heal, to help them um, recover. And people in those who are having their children are having those experiences. They need a lot of care, a lot of time, a lot of attention. And the carers need a lot of time, a lot of support, a lot of care. And when we take on too much as an organization and as individuals, and we try and support too many people, then we miss out on that and we can actually end up doing harm instead of good. And, and I think just building a little bit there, is, it's, it's a little bit about knowing limits um, of mm. your, also your expertise. Um, so that, you know, if we, if we are, when we are working and choosing to work with children, especially vulnerable children, you know, we are taking on a responsibility um, and we are taking on a responsibility to do the best we can. Um, and that needs to say, well, what is it that I don't know? And where, where can I get good informed knowledge and skills to improve my um you know my abilities and my skills in this area and i think part of it is about that often we go in with good intentions and we've all done it um but that um you know we we haven't had the training um and we haven't had and we don't get the support that we need to be able to actually think about am i actually doing this as best as I can? Am I doing it to actually meet the, the needs of, of each individual child? Um, you know, not, not a group of children, but are we meeting each individual child's needs? And, and, and how do we know that we're doing that? And, and I suppose it's, you know, we could do, you know, when we're working in this area, we need to be able to know your child that you're working with, each child. You need to know each family. Um, you need to know you know, what is it that you can deliver? What can you do um, that will make a very um, successful kind of intervention um, rather than, as Caitlin says, trying to do everything and anything? Yeah, yeah. no, that's so good. Randall, and, can I just add something there, please? Uh, no, Mick. No, yes, of course you can. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, just picking up on something Dan, Dan mentioned there is... Uh, um, I remember when I was in residential social work, so before I became qualified as a social worker, I, I felt the call, the need to go and work with kids, uh, teenagers, and this, this is in the book, uh, so clearly you'll be able to remember this. 
but I'm not going to tell this particular story. I'm just going to say, when I reflect back on some of the things that I did and some of the things I said in trying to deal with teenagers who were annoying me and getting beneath my skin very easily, and me not understanding why they were doing what they were doing and why they were not so grateful for the fact that I was prepared to actually put myself into their world and try to try to help them. Some of the things I said and did were absolutely abysmal, but awful. And, but I didn't know any different because no one had told me. I hadn't gone on training. I hadn't been qualified. I was just with a big heart, like Caitlin said, wanted to help, wanted to do good. I, I, I became close to quite depressive as a result of that, because it got to me. Um, uh, and there's, there's some stories I talk about in the book which are ex exactly about that. And that is very dangerous for the kids, and it's very dangerous for me, and it's very dangerous for my, it was dangerous for me and my family. And it equally is for people out there who are often unprepared, unsupported, untrained, and yet are looking after very damaged children and often a lot of children with very little staff, very few staff. So the ratio is of high numbers of kids to staff. Everything is geared towards things not being right and good for the adult or for the child. So uh, just, just something that I picked up on that about oh, what Terry really was saying there. Yeah, no, that's really good. And, and I think, you know, when we only are thinking in generalities, so we think about this group of children or this context, uh, unfortunately, we're going to miss so much. And what I love about what you guys are saying right now, as far as, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew. I don't know if that's an American idiom. You'll have to forgive me. We have all these British and Australians on, but you know, Kate, Caitlin, uh, like Caitlin highlighted, you know, or getting into individual children, like what, like what, uh, what Dan was highlighting. I mean, all of this that you guys are saying is just, uh, we, have to make the simple more complicated, right? Mm -hmm. We can't just, we can't just go with these simple general things. And, you know, I would just, you know, as we've kind of identified, as you guys have masterfully identified some of those trends or some of those, you know, practices that are really um, inadequate, you know, let's flip that kind of on its head. Um, and any of you could kind of speak to this, but if you could, you know, in brief words, encourage a practitioner organization uh, that's listening to this podcast with just one thing, what would it be? What would you encourage that practitioner organization or that practitioner to do? Who wants to go? I'll, I'll speak. Um, I think for me, it's, it's about gaining training and gaining knowledge and skills and having, not one thing, and having support. You know, yeah. th this is too complex and too important because you, we are affecting children's lives to be guessing. Mm. Um, and, and so we have responsibilities to find out how do we know that we are doing a good job? You know, you know one, of, one of our uh, chair of trustees um, used to be director of social services and he would say, you know, constantly, and he says to us all the time, you know, how do you know whether you're doing anything that's good? You know, how do you know what is happening? You know, um, so that's you might have your own measure about that, but what does that relate to about other from what other people would think? Um, and how one knowledge and, and skills are we basing our, our kind of thinking um, from? And I think for me, you know, this work re requires a responsibility on us to, to gain knowledge, to gain, um, to gain skills, but gain them from 
other peers, gain them from other people who are qualified, other people who are experienced, you know, and, and, and really look at how we make sure that, yeah, that helps me to do what I want to do with, with a child, whether it's for foster care, whether it's a children's home, whether it's child protection work, whether it's family support work. Yeah, no, that's really good. And and one of the things that you mentioned there, uh, Dan, is is the need for support, right? So that would be a key takeaway for a lot of people. It actually reminds me of something that Caitlin was uh, training on uh, in, a, in a recent training that we'll talk about more. But um, Caitlin, in this training, you emphasize the importance of self-care. And that also relates back to having that support from peers and so forth. And you had this really amazing kind of a uh, quick remember tool uh, that, that I would love for people to hear about, but you really emphasize the importance of self-care, Caitlin. Uh, could you expound on that and, and tell us why it's so important uh, that, that practitioners and professionals are also taking care of themselves uh, if they're going to, in fact, deliver the best care possible for children? Absolutely. Um, it's something I'm passionate about, so I talk about it a lot, and I will try and keep this brief and to the point. Um, it's, we can't help people if we're not well. Um, burnout is very real um, and it leads to things like relationship breakdown it leads to cynicism um, it can lead to making quick decisions and not well thought out decisions and all those things mean that we can then cause harm instead of all the good that we're actually hoping to do um, so there's two things that I really would want to get across I guess about this idea of self-care the first one that's just a really practical um kind of takeaway, I guess, is to think about the idea of balancing the bias. Um, our brains are wired to look for the negative and that's because their number one job is to keep us safe. Their number one job is to keep us alive. And so, you know, good things are great, but they're not going to kill us and they're not going to hurt us. And so the brain's paying attention to the threats, to things that are dangerous so that they can keep us safe. The really tricky bit is when you work in this line of work, you will be readily exposed to things that are incredibly negative, that are overwhelmingly hard and sometimes make the world feel like a really dangerous place, an unsafe place and a hard place. And so you've got this combination of your work biasing you towards the negative in the world and you've got a combination then of your brain naturally focusing on the negative. So anything that we can do in terms of caring for ourselves that helps reorient us to the positive in the world um, can make a huge difference. And there's lots of ways that you can do that. The other thing that I just want to quickly mention is that sometimes this phrase self-care um, is a little bit dangerous because it puts the responsibility on the individual um, to look after themselves. But actually as organisations, we have a big responsibility to our team, um, to the people that work for us to make sure that we're not expecting too much, that we're not overloading, that we have professional support, that we have options for debriefing, options for talking things through, and that we have a system that allows us to balance real life with work and understand that people have lives outside of work. So yes, it's self-care and yes, we have a responsibility for ourselves, but actually it's community care too, it's organisational care too, and that's what will help people be able to give the best to the people that they're supporting in their work. Oh, that's, that's so amazing. And so well said, I remember, you know, before I worked with 1 million home, I was at a child welfare agency uh, in California. And I just think, you know, this was like a 200 person operation, but they had actually made it systematic where you had times for supervision, time for peer reflection, those types of things that uh, enable that community care far mm -hmm. beyond just the self care aspect, which is also important. So I so appreciate you uh, highlighting that. 
Um, you know, one of the things that we've kind of alluded to, and we definitely want to want to talk about, um, that it was really already come across not only in what you guys have said, but even how you guys have said it is this importance of training and equipping organizations. Um, and we're going to be highlighting a resource here in just a second, but uh, let's let's talk kind of in generalities. I mean, why is training so important? Uh, and ro what role does, does training play in elevating the care of children? I mean, if we're going to, you know, develop these better systems of care, you know, we need to have a multitude of options, not just one option. Uh, each kid is going to have their own, you know, case plan and, you know, all of these different things. So you kind of need a more thriving system. So how does training play a role to kind of get us there? Well, shall I start up on that? Yeah. Please start yeah. up on that. <clears throat> yeah. Well, if, um, let's just look at the, the possibility that my child needed medical treatment. Um, would I be happy to take the advice of those who were untrained in diagnosing and treating the med medical conditions, but they were very well intentioned and they got a big heart to help? Would I, as a parent, be happy to receive that advice or would I be thinking, nope, appreciate your assistance and your willingness, but right now we need something more. I, I prefer to seek out a nurse, seek out a doctor, seek out a surgeon to actually pursue that to make sure I've got an accurate diagnosis. That is around about knowledge and skills and training. That's why we want to veer down that route because that's an important thing for us because it's my child. When we're making decisions about other people's children and other families and, and uh, very important decisions, and Dan mentioned this earlier on, that will probably affect the rest of their life. And if you want to, if you want to know more about that, you could look at Stephen. Is it Kembe? Stephen Usembe, yeah, yeah friend down in Kenya. Yeah, yep. the video we, uh, I was looking at that video this morning, and uh, and and how uh, the things that happen in childhood just affected later life. Uh, for some people, it's absolutely devastating. For other kids, they get through it and do well, and other kids they get through it and don't do so well. Uh, and we know from a lot of research, certainly Loomis was putting this out this week about the high high rates of children that are getting on to leaving care leave is going onto the streets uh, and really feeling, feeling lost and are open and very vulnerable to those who wish to exploit them. So training people who are working with these kids is super important all the way through from the beginning to the end and beyond. Um, I, I think most of us who are, well, I'm a social worker and I've got two kids, but I can tell you, you know, bringing up my two lads, um, were now adults in their own right and got their own kids, was hard work. Um, it, it, it tested my patience, it tasted my endurance uh, in many, many different ways. And I'm sure most people who've got kids would say, yep, amen to that. Well, look, what we do know is looking after your own children is very hard. Looking after other people's children is even harder, much harder, because of the complexities that involve. What am I talking about? For that child, the sense of rejection, that child, the sense of separation and isolation, the sense of blame, why me? Abandonment, abuse, neglect, violence, whatever they're exposed to, their life is in turmoil, utter turmoil. Just to simply put them away into a place, say, well, you're okay, you've got a roof over your head, you've got education now, you've you know, got activities to play, you've got friends, is not enough. We have to dig deeper. 
You can't dig deeper unless you know what you're talking about and what you're doing. Hence, training. Training is super important. Training, supervision, monitoring, uh, uh, coaching, mentoring, all these things are super important. Yeah. And, and I would say just on that is that there's, there's the training element, which is the, you know, giving knowledge. And we all need, you know, the more knowledge we have, the better informed we are, the better, therefore, we can, we can make decisions. But I think an area that I think is, is often um, kind of lost sometimes is how do you put, turn that knowledge into practice, you know? Uh, and that's where we really see that, that kind of key role of the mentoring part. So that, you know, and mentoring can happen in many different ways, whether that be supervision sessions, whether that be, you know, working alongside people, you know, maybe consultations. But, it, but that mentoring of how to turn that, that knowledge into a skill that you deliver in practice, you know, it, it's hard, you know, and it's complex. And especially in a lot of this work where we, you know, as a social worker, you've got to know a lot, a lot of things. As a psychologist, you've got to know, you know, very, you know, significant scientific you know, information and research that you then have got to apply because none of that will actually fit neatly to the child or the family in front of you. Um, and I think that's a really big part of, of what we need to do. And as well as that kind of reflective practice. So it's kind of then saying, OK, that's the knowledge, that's the skills, that's my experience. What have I learned from that, which then take, turns that cycle back, back around? And I think that's a really important way of how we, as a sector working uh, with children, can improve what we do. Because every day is a learning experience that can help us to, to improve. I just want to add to that, too, that I know there might be a lot of people listening um, and probably include ourselves in this, who've been on training that hasn't helped, <laughs> who've been on training that hasn't been applicable that they've thought this is this doesn't fit and so I just you know I just have empathy I guess for people who are listening to think this and thinking sometimes it's easier said than done to like go and get training um, because it's how do I find the right training how do I people um, find people that know my context and understand it and it's not an easy thing to do and I have worked with organizations who've kind of been overtrained because they've taken up offers like really well-meaning volunteer offers from um, experts in their field in a certain country who've said yeah we'd love to come in we've got all this knowledge and we can help you but they haven't understood and I think I include myself in that because when I first was working in India I know that the way that I trained was not always helpful and was not always applicable um, and so we've worked really hard to we have an advisory group from people all around the world who help us we've also worked with organizations in so many countries now that we kind of are more aware of what we don't know. So if you're talking to people about doing some training, I really encourage you to spend some time with them asking questions about their approach, what their understanding of cross-cultural co um, contexts are and how they would adapt what they learn to your needs. Um, because yeah, not all training is equal and it's so frustrating to spend your time and perhaps your money, your organization's money on training that then you feel like, well, that was a waste of time. Yeah, no, that's really well said by all of you and, and uh, important to nuance that as well, because, uh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, I was talking with a colleague and talking about the amount of resources that get shared on Facebook, you know, or the amount of resources and I, I'll be honest, like some of my some of my staff here, like will see like the tabs that I have open because it's like I have 20 different tabs It's like, oh, I'm going to get to that resource, I'm going to get to that training, I'm going to 
and it's like bogging my computer down. It's just, it's bad. It is bad. There's, <laughs> there's, there's almost too much. Uh, but so, so I really appreciate that nuance there as well, Caitlin. We have to get people equipped. We have to get people that are ready for the work. Um, but the training also has to be good. It has to be tested yeah. and it has to be contextualized. Um, you know, one of the one of the trainings that I do want to highlight is uh, something that we at One Million Home were able to partner with you guys on just recently. And so um, we recently did with you guys a, a course on the Journey Home Community Learning Platform, uh, which we'll share the URL in the show notes. Um, but this is a free online training, you know, and for our listeners, you know, you guys are hearing Mick, Dan and Caitlin and all their splendor, but you know, this is going to be a 40 minute conversation. Uh, we know that that this is just wetting the appetite. So uh, we would uh, love to direct people towards this, uh, towards this training uh, that is available, that it's free and that it's online. Um, you know, we really want to make these types of resources accessible because it's important, right, uh, to have um this type of uh, professionalism and training that is available because look, if you're running some small community-based organization in Eswatini or whatever, like you, the, the chances to actually get equipped are, are pretty low. Um, so especially with, you know, an organization like SFAC that's been at this in multiple contexts for so many years, we want to make sure that these resources are available. So um, I'm going to direct our listeners to the Journey Home platform to, to get connected with you guys. But, you know, the course is all around family reunification, which is obviously a big piece of what we do at One Million Home and, and something that you guys are passionate about as well as one of those services that need to be provided for at-risk children. Um, and it's also around safeguarding. So um, can you guys tell us a little bit more from the content standpoint, uh, rather than the production standpoint, uh, a little bit more from a content standpoint, uh, what this project is all about and, and what learners uh, in this Journey Home course are going to walk away with? Sure. Uh, I mean, I think um, we would subscribe. It's a question and answers from you know people in the field who have asked questions from their experiences uh, and, and come across um, problems or difficulties or, or, or you know thinking through what might happen uh, and and really us kind of talking through from our experiences of ways that you know of I suppose not necessarily giving clear answers because sometimes there isn't a clear answer that you can give it's about giving things that you need to think about and and consider uh, and things to take you know what you know I think in, in some senses what what perspective are we looking at are we looking at it from an organizational perspective or are we looking at it from a child's perspective and really kind of bringing trying to bring you know as, as Mick said about his book really trying to bring that child perspective in that we're looking at that individual child within every part of the work that we're doing but also what are we trying to achieve um you know and I think uh, some of it is kind of raising those questions about you know is this about getting lots of children home or is it getting lots of children safely home where it's appropriate to do so you know is it about caring for lots of children or is it caring for the children that need that care and how do we do that effectively and appropriately and and really what we talk about are principles and concepts um because everywhere is going to be different um and every organization is going to be different in terms of what their actual needs are but it's it's about kind of thinking through what what you might want to consider what you might want to think about what you might want to um you know, hopefully learn bits about. 
Yeah. And, you know, I would just add, I, I, I love what you highlighted there. These are answering actual questions from organizations in the Congo or Uganda or El Salvador or kind of fill in the blank, uh, just uh, people that are a part of uh, the One Million Home Community of Practice and, and which you guys are, are technical advisors for. And, and these are very practical questions. I, I remember when I was working in Tanzania and we would do trainings, like if we talked about uh, kuchapa, spanking, uh, that was like, oh my goodness, are you guys really talking about that? Like this, oh. this cultural thing that's so ubiquitous and yet is um, such an important uh, aspect around discipline and the care for children uh, that even just to have a conversation around that uh, is, is so important. And to get oh. that from a trauma-informed uh, uh, you know, and best practice and child welfare standpoint. So some of the questions that were submitted by, you know, friends from uh, around the world, what is the difference between corporal punishment and abuse? Uh, uh, what do we do when government uh, offices affecting children are not on the same page? Holy smokes, if I could count the number of times <laughs> that came up uh, in my own express, uh, in my own expression, they're working in Tanzania. Um, how can we avoid stress and burnout in our team? Something that, that, uh, Caitlin was just speaking to, um, if, if a child forms attachment in foster care, doesn't that make their next placement more difficult? Mm -hmm. The questions like these that are just like, mm -hmm. yeah, what, what, you know, what oh. do we do with that? So I, I thought you guys did just a masterful training, uh, uh, along those lines and, and would just love to direct people, uh, to journey home to, to, to connect more and, and to receive uh, training uh, from these uh, three gifted practitioner educators. So you're very, you're very kind, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I would oh, just add um, on that. If I could, I just add just a, a little, just a little bit. That, Phil, um, Phil was muting himself and trying to talk. So yes, you can add, Nick. I can add. <laughs> In, in, in the realm of social work, you go to university and get your qualification, you walk out a qualified social worker. The application of the, of the values and the ethics uh, that you've learned and the principles that you've learned then need to get into practice years afterwards. And that's where the balancing up of uh, how you make decisions or make recommendations that are important about children's life and they're all different because what works for one child may not work for another child, even though they're siblings, you, you could identify that. So, um, you know, you're often balancing strengths and weakness and risks and, and protective factors and vulnerabilities. You're often balancing because everything's never going to be right, wholly, so you'll be able to say, ha-ha, yes, there we go then. You're often having to say, well, yes, a bit of this, but yeah, that, and all that. And on balance, where do we go with that? That only comes with experience and careful thinking uh, and like Dan said, reflect, reflecting back on practice and knowledge and skills. It doesn't come from having a qualification from university. That's the start. The rest comes later. Man, it's a good conversation. I wish we uh, didn't need to wrap it up, but you know, all good things come to an end. Um, well, not all, most good things come to an end, but uh, uh, right now we do have our last couple questions. We're gonna we're gonna do kind of speed round here, rapid fire. We talked a lot earlier about um, the fact there's a lot of noise out in the world right now. There's a lot of stuff that we could pick up and read or listen to or watch, and that's why we do this part of the show every time to get some your recommendations of what you've been learning from, 
as we've learned over the last 40 or so minutes, you've been learning a lot and you're sharing a lot of your wisdom with a lot of people. So what have you, each of you, just real quick, what have each of you read, watched, or listened to that is most impact your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Go for Kaitlin, it, Dan, why don't you start? Uh, yeah, well, go for it. I, anyway, Kaitlin, Kaitlin was speaking then on me. Um, I've, uh, I think the, the most recent one is a, a, on a YouTube, a video by a, a lad called um, Luke Rogers. And, and I think it's a really powerful um, take because he's a child who was in foster care in, in the UK. And he compares his um, note, the notes that he is in his file um, from social workers and carers about his behavior. And he then gives a reflection about where he was in terms of his emotions and circumstances. And I think it's a really powerful video to be able to look at, you know, when we see behavior, we're seeing the expression of emotion, feelings and circumstances, and that we need to kind of think beyond just, just what we are seeing um, to what is going on. And I think it's, a, it's one of the most powerful um, kind of videos of thinking also about how we recall information. And not only in terms of how we respond, but how we record and being sensitive to that, to that child's circumstances. Yeah, definitely. Um, how about you, Caitlin? Um, yeah, I have trouble limiting this. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, that's okay. Do, you can do a few. We'll let you do a few. There's a couple of books that I read um, early on when I was living in India, um, which you may well have heard of. One was Toxic Charity and the other was When Helping Hurts. Um, and while they're not specifically directed about children, um, they just gave me a lot to think about, about when I'm considering providing support to another as if that's as a psychologist whatever that position is or a volunteer whatever it looks like it was a lot to think about and in terms of specifically thinking about children who've experienced trauma um, there's a book by Bruce Perry um, and it's it's co-written and I can't remember who the other person is but it's called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog um, and it just gives you such an insight into children who've had really difficult starts in life and how they can heal and how some don't and why. Yeah, it's funny you you recommend that last one. Well, the one helping hurts is the most recommended book um, uh, on this show for good reason. But uh, the boy who was raised by a dog is is fast approaching that. Apparently, it's been the second time this season, and and we just mentioned the third time this season, and we just mentioned that the fact that uh, we neither of us have have read it. Um, so and we we committed to reading it since then and I still haven't so now I really need to so equally wonderful follow-up called born to love so go with either hey I gotta go with the first one first I gotta do the first (laughs) don't don't give me more to put on my reading list man oh man that's what happens here though that's why that's the danger of asking this question is my reading list gets longer and longer how about you Mick well I wouldn't add uh, a book um so I'll I'll help you there that's why I asked you (laughs) what I would say in terms of what I've observed and what I've seen is, is not one person, but a community. What really encourages me and gives me hope that things have changed Being in this game now for 20 years uh, on this, uh, this part of the journey, rather than the game, this part of the journey for 20 years, it is that the, the community of care reform workers globally who give me hope to say that we are at last beginning to promote and advocate for the child's rights and for the child to be at the centre of what happens rather than on it, 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 it be, being on the external. It's always about the child. It's always about the needs 
the child's needs, never about the worker, not the donor, not the organisation, not the faith, it's about the child. And I'm seeing more and more of that now being echoed amongst the community of care for reform workers who are pushing the agenda for the child's human rights to be raised in a safe environment and preferably within a safe family. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I will say, I'm sure all of you were, would have recommended children belong in families by Mick Peace, except that you felt that, that was a given. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to say that. Yeah. And, and also because, so, you know, because, because, because you then learn about how me and Caitlin got together as well in that book. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, SFAC is also a marriage. You know, yes, uh, exactly. We make marriages. <laughs> That's well right. That's right. <laughs> hey, folks, if there's ever a reason to, to work for an organization, if you're in the need for that, you know, go for it. Just, just that, see what happens. That, that, was the, that was the primary reason why I came in and joined, you know. Yeah. I, well, I, you, you're a smart man. You're a you smart guys will man. have to be uh, changing your name again to strengthening families and making families. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. The eHarmony of orphan care organizations exactly. is what we're talking about here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the uh, the last question, and Mick, you you can if it's changed since the last time you were on the show, you can do that. Otherwise, go back and listen to that first interview with Mick to talk about this. But what one person has uh, most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Caitlin, why don't you pick this one up? Okay. Okay. Um, it's not one person. I grew up with uh, foster siblings. And so I think the experience of that and what I learned, some were long-term, some were short-term, um, definitely. And the people that I have lived with and worked with in India, just listening, listening to their stories, understanding how their world differs to mine in so many ways um, and appreciating all that they have to offer um, and all that I can learn from them. So those two groups of people, my foster siblings um, and yeah, colleagues and friends in India. Yeah. How about you, Dan? Um, mine would be um, family. So it'd be my, it'd be my granddad and it would be my dad and, and, and mum really, because that, that embedded in me the um, need for social justice um, and to challenge. Um, and I think with my granddad in particular, because he, he took a role with um, the NSPCC in the UK. So that's um, working with children. Uh, child protection work here uh, before that became a, a, a much more of a statutory role um, and I think that really it kind of inspired me into this kind of work in, in, in many ways and, and, and really to also to do the best we could um, from hearing lots of stories from him especially when I started taking interest of it but really pushing me to say you need to you need to learn um, and you know the, the responsibility of the role was really kind of embedded into my brain by, by, by him and during our during our chats absolutely hey mick you got any last words before we uh i i would add um i thought about this quite a bit and the, the name that keeps banging around in my head is craig greenfield you know him i do know craig he's has he been, been on, the, on show? the show he has, has he? and we're going to get him on again in absolutely uh, the next uh, season yeah. yeah kiwi down in uh well currently in new zealand but uh in uh in asia for for many years uh working with his alongsiders and care leavers and kids who are really uh, living in areas and in situations of risk and need just solid grounding and support and someone to connect to, to see them through. Yeah, I got to look at Craig and think he'd been around a long time. 
and he's still at it, he's still going at it and shouting out for child justice. So yeah, uh, I would say he's got to be an inspiration. Absolutely. And that's a good the preview for next season. We're going to get Craig on. He's written a few books, Urban Halo, Subversive yeah. Jesus. He's got another one coming out soon. I forget the title of it, but we're going to be talking with him about it. So uh, stay tuned for that. But thank you, uh, Mick and Dan and Caitlin, um, just for who you are, what you're doing. Um, friendship, uh, all that. Uh, just, I'm grateful for, for each of you and uh, just grateful that you were able to come on and back on to the show to have this great conversation with us. Thank you. Thank you Thanks very much. for having yeah. us. It's been great. Thank you, Brandon. Excellent. Well, thanks again to our amazing friends at SFAC. And I laughed because, um, yeah, I got lazy. I just got lazy on the name. That was funny. Um, the thing I'm is, I, I, I think they've actually changed their name maybe a couple times. I feel like probably. I've seen it a few different ways. And I just, I didn't even know what it was currently. And I work with them pretty regularly. So. Yeah, and I just, <laughs> I just think they're playing with it. I, 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 to, to, to make a name change is, is a big deal, you know? So that, you know, like branding and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, it, it, it was, I'm glad we did that because you know what, we keep it real here, folks. We're not, you know, we don't edit things out. We, we make mistakes just like everybody. So that, that's the beauty of it, but, um, doesn't take away from the fact they're amazing. Just incredible. I, I just love them. They are the real deal. Um, I remember meeting Mick back in Thailand in 2015 and just impressed with him then as much as I am now. And the more I get to know him, the more I love him as a brother and, and uh, Dan and Caitlin, fantastic, amazing people, great hires, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, get them married to kind of make it a little bit more secure in that hiring, you know, that you know, you both can leave. So anyway, what'd you think about that? Uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure it didn't come to surprise what they're talking about, but man, um, what'd you think? Oh, man, anytime I, I get any time with, with SFAC, uh, you know, it's always time well spent. Uh, so I just, again, have the utmost respect for them. I, I have learned a ton. I mean, they've helped us directly as One Million Home. Uh, they have done trainings with uh, community of practice members that, that we're working with. I mean, uh, some of the people that you've heard on this podcast, you know, those organizations they're interacting with. I mean, they, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Helping Children Worldwide is is one of those national accelerators that we work with. And I mean, Dan has been doing extensive training with them, you know, for the opportunity that they have in Sierra Leone. He's doing the same, you know, SFAC is doing the same with with partners of ours in Lesotho and Kenya and Uganda. I mean, it, their skill, their experience, their expertise is just really unrivaled as far as I can tell. A lot of what has happened in global care reform, um, a lot of the stuff that comes out and, and you know, I suppose we would be in this uh, boat as well, is really focused at the organizational level, um, which is great because you need to address that, but it has to get down to that child level and that's going to best happen with really good social work. And uh, they have been involved, I, I mean in so many different projects with so many different organizations on different levels. I mean, they could, you know, 
work at the courts and, you know, one day and the next day they're training, you know, local social workers, like, like it's, it's really remarkable the work that they do. And, and especially for being a smaller team, like Dan was saying, um, it's really remarkable. Uh, so I'm, I'm just excited that, that we get to, uh, share this wonderful team with our listeners here and, and, and just, uh, even encourage them and point them towards, uh, getting equipped themselves with SFAC. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know that, that, that wasn't any big takeaways, but I've had so many oh. takeaways from them. I think the, the main takeaway is like you said, they're the real deal. So, yeah. And, and I think what's, what's remarkable is how many times you said remarkable in that, remarkable. in that, uh, few minutes right there i wish so, i could say it with a british accent or oh, something yeah. you know? or australian i mean we or had we, we even talked about it as we signed off we had you know a bunch of different accents there we had a couple california kids who have been all over the place <laughs> and then a few different a uh, couple different english accents australian so apologize to you folks who aren't used to accents but it's worth working through i'll tell you that right now the one thing that caitlin said that really stuck out to me and then i'm going to kick right into the the uh the recommendation with, you know, I'll give you a chance for any last thoughts you have, but Caitlin talking about, you know, self-care is so important, but a big part of self-care is being healthy so that you can help your people care for themselves too. And do not miss that. Like that is a huge, huge part of our leadership. It's a huge part of the work that we're doing with the children and the families that we're working with is we can't, help them fully without being healthy ourselves. Yes. But a big, it's not just, you know, getting them stuff. It's not just getting them their, their things that they need. It's not just getting them healthy. Stop. It's continual. It's, it's ongoing. And for our people in our organizations as leaders, if you're not doing that, I mean, I, I'm even thinking with the soccer team that I coach, these girls are going through finals as we speak and they're freaking out. And so just to remind them that stress doesn't help, it actually increases cortisol and that actually helps, you know, it reduces your performance. All you can do, do your, you know, prepare and then do your best, right? That's what we can do, right? So even simple little things to continually be doing that. But if I'm not healthy myself, then I'm going to be stressed about them being stressed and I'm going to freak out and then I'm going to actually exacerbate it because I'm going to come down on them and be like, hey, just deal with it. You know, you got to be at practice, you got to be at the game, you know, rather than entering in. One of the girls was just really struggling yesterday. And I, hey, how you doing? What's going on? You're not your normal self. Well, I'm really stressed. There's some stuff at home. There's some stuff with school. You know, to be able to know that is, is critical. And then how do we enter into that to help them be healthy? So that was the one thing that I think, Caitlin, it really, it's a great reminder for all of us. Yeah. Um, but what, what are your last thoughts before, uh, last thoughts of 2021? Quite frankly, oh, yeah, holy smokes. Um, your last yeah. thoughts as we uh, kind of wrap this one up. Well, I'm just glad that we could finish with these guys because uh, that that content is, is like I said, it's second to none. Um, you know, I, I, I think the main takeaway for me from a content standpoint, um, <clears throat> and I think, you know, my own organization, we fall prey to this as much as, as anyone perhaps, but when we are talking about the importance of family care, when we are talking about the over-reliance on residential care, it can't really, from a practice standpoint, just be this kind of blanket statement with a blanket practice, you know, like just get the kids home, you know, kind of thing, because then we're just making uh, 
an egregious error that was previously made, you know, the same logic was, well, just get the kids into an orphanage so that they're not poor, or they're not sick, or they're not, you know, whatever. Um, what I appreciate most about SFAC is let's get into the intricacies of this particular child. Let's make sure that the practices that we're using actually match the context, you know, that are actually going to be sustainable within this community you know those types of things like you have to get into the weeds um and i've gotten into the weeds especially with dan uh, on a number of occasions and uh it can be hard to work through some of those nuances uh, when it comes to social work practice but it's worth it because we really need uh, that type of uh, intervention when it comes to working with children. So i think that that's the biggest takeaway and, and i'll just you know say one more time uh you know, this interview, you know, we only get about an hour or so for, for a Think Orphan episode. Uh, but if people want to hear more from them, there is free content, you know, on the Journey Home platform where people can uh, continue to just hear. And it's literally just the three of them, Mick, Dan, and Caitlin, sitting at a round table together, taking questions uh, mm. that, that are, and I previewed a few of those. So very, very accessible, very applicable. And it's the same things that a lot of our listeners are thinking through. How can I actually do this better? How can I actually care for orphan and vulnerable children yeah. with excellence? So uh, just uh, point people back there. And all that will be on the show notes. So uh, their website, SFAC's website, which is strengthening families and children, mm -hmm. folks, just if you were wondering. Um, and uh, they, it's worth your time. The Journey Home Absolutely. platform, for sure. Um, that will, the link to that will be there as well, as well as all the books that were referenced and, and um, everything else that uh, will need a link. So, and Speaking this last books. book on the recommendation will also be one that will be linked to on those show notes. And it's a, it's a little children's book. You can read it in about three, four, five minutes. Or you can just dwell on it as you're reading through it and take your time. You can read it with your kids. You can read it by yourself. My wife actually got it for me for my birthday this last year. And it's called What Do You Do With an Idea? And it's just a great, not just inspiration, but just a reminder for us that the ideas start small. They start as a little idea in your head. What do you do with it? Right? And it's a cool little book talks about how that can turn into something that can change the world. Right. And SFAC was an idea. Yeah. Right. Think Orphan Podcast was an idea. And a lot of people were like, eh, it's really worth the time. Is it worth it? I'm like, I don't know. Let's try it. Let's go. Yeah. You know? And now here we are. We're almost at 200 episodes. It's crazy. Right. But think about the lives that have been changed because of these conversations. It's, you know, it's humbling, right? It's like, and it's super exciting all at the same time. Um, so that is my recommendation. Um, check it out. It's Kobe Yamada, K-O-B-I, Yamada. And apparently it's a bestseller as I look at, uh, look at it on Amazon. So we'll have that link to it. Um, so I'm not like some, you know, like, hey, this is exposing some people don't know about. Apparently it's, it's known. But I'm glad it is because it's a cool little book um, and it could, it could be a great little Christmas present. Uh, yeah, if, you, man. if you need some last second shopping, as I see here, it's on prime free one day shopping. So if you got prime, it can get to you by the time Christmas for uh, someone that you love that might have an idea that they're sitting on. 
um, to inspire them or something to just uh, be a reminder to someone to keep going on an idea that they're working on. So with that, I want to thank you folks again for just being part of this show. I, I just, Brandon and I both hope that you have a very Merry Christmas with, with Christmas with your friends and your family and um, that you are, are really just worshiping and rejoicing the birth of our Savior. Um, and we hope and pray that you finish 21 strong and have a phenomenal 2022 with us as we continue doing what we're doing here at Think Orphan. Most importantly, we hope that you're taking all that you're learning through this show, that you're learning through everything else that you're doing, and you're, you're using it to help you to know how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great Christmas. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.